I was uh, sleeping in my bed, and uh, there was a, a presence uh, in the room. I was paralyzed in the bed. He seemed like a shadow. Probably about six foot five. Well over six foot. Very tall. There was something sitting on my chest. Sitting on top of my chest. The lady was old and haggard. She had strongly gray hair. Kind of an old woman standing in front of me. And there was an, an old lady. This just was not a nightmare. I know that I am awake when this happens. Can't escape from this entity that has entered your room. It's a feeling of perhaps the greatest terror that one can imagine. Welcome to episode 112 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Christina Hallam. Kimberly Miller. Joanne Walker. Kristen Weeks. Anne-Marie Brown. Miranda Wareham. Perfectly Fine. Richmond Robertson. Danielle. Daniela Lamb. Stephanie Bayliss. Katrina Clift. Melissa. Jackie Burton. Tracy Blackett. Jennifer Jewell. Erica. Calvertina Kinsel. Jeff Johnson. Sophia Mecklen. Thank you all so much for being our Patreon subscribers. We cannot thank you enough, really. We appreciate you every day. Yeah, we really do. Thank you so much. We also have a birthday wish, which is very belated. So I need to say that before we start. Uh, this birthday wish went into my inbox requests on Instagram, so I didn't see it for ages. So this birthday was, I think, around like the 17th or 18th of December. So I really apologise. And I would like to say a massive happy birthday to Gemma Williams from Natalie, but also from me. And me. Happy birthday. No, less so from you. Why less so from me? Well, because I'm just better at saying happy birthday than you are. That's true. <laughs> but happy birthday Gemma sorry it's belated and we hope that you had a peaceful Christmas and our film review this week our film review is The Hallow The Hallow was released in 2015 it has 5.7 out of 10 on IMDB and 70% on Rotten Tomatoes would you like a synopsis why go on in a family who moved into a remote mill house in Ireland finds themselves in a fight for survival with demonic creatures living in the woods what were your thoughts on this film? See, I've been thinking about this a lot since we watched it. Have you? Yeah, and I've got a problem. Oh. I feel like I'm at the point now where none of these films are having the intended effect. <laughs> it is It is hard when you watch a horror film every week because they become so predictable. Like, I still really enjoy the process, but I'm so easily pleased when it comes to movies and I feel like week in, week out, I'm going, nope, nope, rubbish, rubbish, nope. So you didn't like it then is what I you're saying in a roundabout way. It was just okay. Like it didn't thrill me particularly much, very much, but I didn't, and it wasn't like horrifically bad. No, it definitely wasn't horrifically bad. And that was about it really. <laughs> but I think we need to let go of the horror dad trope. Because a lot of this, as with a lot of horror films, could have been avoided if dad listened to the angry local with a shotgun and just left. Yes. You know, <laughs> I think that is something that we need to learn in films is that if an angry local with a shotgun tells you to leave the land 
one of two things would happen. It'll either be some sort of demons are going to take your baby or some sort of deliverance situation. And I've not seen deliverance, but I know it's not good. Okay. Ding, 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 ding. So um, we need to we need to like move on from this whole not listening to angry locals when they say get off our land. I agree with you entirely and Paul said a similar thing on your Instagram in that most any father worth his salt would have got his family out of that situation ASAP. It's worse in this picture because I don't feel like he even has a particular reason to be so clingy about it. It's not like he's sacrificed everything to go and do this or this is the job he's been willing for. He's just been sent there by his company. Yeah, so his, he's been sent there by his company to find out what trees can be felled yeah. in order to clear some land. The local Irish people are like, don't do that and get off the land. This is a really bad idea. You don't really get much of an explanation beyond that. And I think the dad is really problematic from the very beginning when he finds a dead deer that's covered in some sort of mysterious black goo. And rather than leaving the baby home and then going back to collect a sample, I mean, he might as well have made the baby lick the sample. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) He's so close to this mysteriously dead deer and says to the baby, don't tell your mum. I mean, you're putting the baby's life at risk, babe. Maybe it is better off with the demons. Maybe that's a big old claim to make, but maybe it is better off with the demons. So, dangerous dad aside, what did you think? I thought it tried really hard to be something really funky and original. And it felt like simultaneously a creature feature and what do they call it? Body horror? Is mm. that what they call it? But I think if you're going to... The whole point of this film is to play on Irish fairy lore. And I do think if you're going to do that, you, you need to give some sort of explanation as to what fairy lore is. And research your fairy lore properly. Yeah, well, <laughs> I kind of respect that they were trying to portray the fairies as like these really dark, demonic entities that, that take your baby and come out at night. Like, I, you know, cool. But if you don't speak the Irish language, like a lot of... So the, the, the local guy arrives with a shotgun. I mean, he probably should really brush up on his people's skills and maybe just sit down and have a chat with them rather than being so aggressive. Maybe that this all could have been avoided, really, with some <laughs> simple, basic manners. And he throws down this big book of fairy tales. And in the book of fairy tales, there is a picture. And then just underneath it, it says, it says changeling. But if you don't know changeling lore, that will mean nothing to you. Yeah. So there's no explanation as to what changeling lore actually is. And then there's another, at the end of the film, there's a there's another pic- image from the book with a phrase in Irish. And again, if you're creating a film for a, for a pre- predominantly English-speaking audience... And you throw out Irish phrases with no explanation is not very helpful. So I think I get what they were trying to do. But they needed a bit more explanation in there. Fair, fair. I accept that. It was okay. That's all I've got to say about it, really. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's shot in a beautiful, in a beautiful place. Uh, But other than that, moral of the story, leave if the locals tell you to. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Just let it go. So what would you give this film out of five? Uh, two and a half. Oh, I think two. Um, I'm, I was going to go three or maybe even three and a half. Okay. Like I was entertained by it. Uh, is it amazing? No. Is it a bit confused? Yeah, it made me a bit annoyed. But it's fine. Which brings us to our story this week. Which has nothing to do with fairy lore. But it does have to do with lore from other countries. So okay. I'm very excited. Hmm. I'm not even going to give you a run-in on this story, but I will say that it deals with one of the most controversial topics on our podcast. The one that prompts the most messages that we get. Okay. 
I get messages all the time about dreams. And I never thought when we began this podcast that the topic of dreams would become such a divisive issue. People either love them or they hate them. Some people listen to a dream story and think, wow, I've experienced something really similar. What does that mean? And some people hear a dream story and immediately roll their eyes and tune out. And I get both sides. Even more divisive than the topic of dreams is the topic of sleep paralysis. Some people believe that sleep paralysis is the answer to all and any stories that pertain to the teller being in bed at night time. And some people believe that sleep paralysis is more supernatural than one would think. I've never experienced sleep paralysis, so can't pretend to know how it feels. But there is an element of sleep paralysis that fascinates me. And it is an element that caused me to stumble across a strange little true story about the very real danger of dreams. In 1984, The Nightmare on Elm Street was released and has remained a popular part of horror movie canon to this day. The film follows four teenagers living on one street in a fictitious Ohio town who are hunted in their dreams by Freddy Krueger, a burnt killer who sports a bladed leather glove. It's a classic and one that spawned sequels, spin-offs, crossovers and spoofs down through the decades. You'll probably have heard the story that the film's antagonist, Freddy Krueger, is based on a real-life serial killer who murdered at least 20 children in the 1800s. He supposedly used a gardening claw to commit his awful deeds and took the children to an abandoned factory. He was eventually caught and lived out his days in an insane asylum. Except none of that is true. Wes Craven, who wrote and directed the film, literally named Freddy after his childhood bully, But the basis for the story came from something far more disturbing. An article in the LA Times that Craven had read that told the dark story of the Da So. A Cambodian family had escaped the killing fields and fled to the USA and successfully started a new life there. The teenage son of this family began to have more and more vivid nightmares and it was assumed by all that he was suffering from PTSD. The nightmares intensified and the young man begged his parents not to let him fall asleep because it would get him. It was hunting him in his dreams, and if he fell asleep, he wouldn't wake up again. He forced himself to stay awake, and his parents watched on terrified for their son and his increasingly erratic behaviour. But there is only so long that the human body can stay awake for, and eventually he fell asleep. His parents were relieved and hoped that the sleep would give his emotional state some well-needed respite. But their hopes were shattered when their son cried out desperately for help in his sleep. And by the time they reached his bedside, he was dead. The Hmong people in Laos fought alongside the US Army during the Vietnam War. But as the Laotian government became communist, the Hmong people became targets of the regime. Many Hmong people fled to the USA and were scattered to the winds to all four corners, but eventually migrated within the country to create their own closer-knit communities. And in 1981, the Centre for Disease Control began tracking a mysterious rash of sudden deaths among male Hmong migrants from Laos in particular. These men were young, healthy and fit. And they were dying in their sleep but no one could explain why. Except for the wives and mothers of these men, who blamed the Da So. 
Van Xiong was one such Laotian refugee who had settled in California with a community of other Laotian Hmong people. Xiong woke one night and was cripplingly aware that he was not alone in his room. He felt a presence that he somehow instinctively knew was evil. His eyes scanned the room trying to make sense of his feelings and to find the source of his growing panic. His heart rate intensified and he realised that there was someone standing at the end of his bed. She was pale, with long white hair. Her limbs seemed to be disproportionately long and spindly and her eyes were black hollows that seemed to ooze a black liquid down her haggard white face. She slowly lifted her arms and crouched down to the bed. And to Xiong's terror, she began to climb slowly up the bed towards him. Her limbs splayed, showing that they were indeed too long for her body, and her weight began to crush his body. She lowered herself down onto his chest, the weight becoming crushing and her pale, hollow eyes were staring into his inches from his face. He could feel her anger and he could also feel his life ebbing away. And then, like the flicking of a switch, she was gone. It sounds like a standard case of sleep paralysis, but Xiong knew that it was something different. Hmong people are an ancient and spiritual people. They believe that there is a spirit world that exists alongside the natural world and prayers and ceremonies are important to both appease spirits and to ensure healthy, prosperous living. Prayer and veneration could keep the Da So away. But if you didn't observe religious traditions fully, or even if your family and relatives didn't observe tradition, the door was open for the Da So to visit your dreams. They believe that the Da So is almost like a trickster. She appears in the guise that will cause the most fear in the dreamer. It could be a shadow figure, or just that feeling that there is something there out of your line of sight. But most often she appeared as an old woman, haggard and pale, emaciated with hollow black eyes and lank white hair. Whatever this phenomenon was, it was killing Laotian men in their sleep. And in this period of time in the 1980s, over 100 previously healthy men died suddenly in their sleep. Family members reported literally watching the men trying to fight off invisible assailants in their sleep. And California wasn't the only place in the world reporting this phenomenon. 230 more cases were uncovered in other countries where Laotian refugees had fled. Fear was beginning to grow among the Hmong community and men were literally afraid to fall asleep. The CDC continued to investigate and attributed the deaths to SUNS, Sudden Unexpected Nocturnal Death Syndrome, which is really as vague as it sounds and indicates that even they couldn't quite figure it out. Laotian death traditions made it almost impossible to perform autopsies after the death of a man, which left the scientific community scratching their heads the Hmong people began to move to more rural areas to form tight-knit communities, and shaman performed rituals to keep the Da So attacks at bay. And with that, they stopped. But what happened to the 100 men who lost their lives in a nocturnal battle? 
Did an entity follow them across the globe and take their souls in their sleep in revenge for them seemingly abandoning their people? Dr. Shelley Alder did extensive work with the Hmong people and explored their cultural belief that they were being haunted by the Da So. And she believed that the deaths of these men were indeed caused by this mysterious entity. But not in the way that you might think. Eventually, medical studies were conducted on a number of Hmong people who had fallen victim to sons, and it was found that they were indeed of sound health. There was no evidence of heart disease, as would be expected, and there was no evidence of genetic abnormality. It was found that although sleep paralysis is only experienced by 8% of the general population, it was experienced by 58% of the Hmong population. So there seemed to be some sort of predisposition to experiencing sleep disturbance within their culture. Sleep paralysis is likely to be triggered by periods of stress, and the Hmong people had endured violence, murder and discrimination for many years. Eventually, Dr. Adler came to the conclusion that these men were literally scared to death. They had a slight heart abnormality, which is prevalent in men in Southeast Asian countries. But their belief in the Da So was entrenched in them, so much so that their hearts stopped with fear during an episode of sleep paralysis. She called it a nocebo effect, like a placebo effect, but with negative effects instead of positive. If you think that this sounds silly, then I'll give you another real-world example. Research has shown that Chinese Americans who observe Chinese cultural traditions often die according to their birth year. If a person is born in a year which Chinese astrology and medicine considers ill-fated, they are more likely to die early and because of that cause. For example, if you are born in a year that is astrologically linked to bad liver health, you are more likely to die younger and from liver complications. This is often cited as evidence that cultural beliefs can produce a nocebo effect and thus perpetuate legends and lore about creatures of the night that come and claim your life. So that ties it up nice and neatly, right? These men died because of their cultural belief in a horrific entity triggering a pre-existing heart condition that ultimately caused their death. Well, that's not really fair to say. There's still a lot of guesswork about the death of the Hmong men, and there is one thing about these episodes of sleep paralysis that both intrigued and terrified me. If the Da So is a cultural phenomenon, then why is she present in cultures all over the world, not just in Southeast Asia? Although she may not go by the name Da So, there are references to her in records going back thousands of years, and in cultures all over the world. In Newfoundland, they called her the Old Hag. The first documented report of her appeared in the 1890s, and with the absence of a scientific explanation for the phenomenon, the legend of the Hag took root in Newfoundland lore. She became so entrenched in their language that the word Hag became a verb. I got hagged last night. The people believed that you could summon the Hag by reciting the Lord's Prayer backwards and she could be vanquished by sleeping with a board with upright nails pressed against your chest, so that she would be impaled when she tried to lower herself onto you. There were reports that she could be summoned and set upon someone else in the community which has striking resemblances to the witch trials in Salem. She was universally described as being pale and withered, having long white hair and black eyes. She would appear in doorways, 
sometimes naked, exposing her disproportionate limbs, and sometimes clothed in tattered rags. She would creak and groan into the room before dropping to the floor and crawling onto the bed and onto the chest of the victim. Contemporary Newfoundland folklorist Dale Jarvis has done extensive research on incidences of sleep paralysis and the hag in communities, and has found that although many people will claim not to believe in ghosts or the supernatural, those same people believe that the hag is real. It is as though she is not placed in the same category as the supernatural, but is respected as a real and terrifying entity. But here's the thing. Sleep paralysis is 100% real, and definitely scientific. It has been widely studied by academics and medical researchers alike. We know that when we sleep, our brains cause our bodies to become paralysed, essentially so we don't act out our dreams. In sleep paralysis, our brain begins to wake up, but our bodies don't, so the sufferer is paralysed, and the visions are essentially dreamlike hallucinations. It most often happens when people are overtired and stressed, so the treatment for sleep paralysis is often simply more sleep, which is difficult if the sufferer is frightened to sleep at all. So if sleep paralysis is a scientific phenomenon, then why are we bothering to talk about it? Well, there is that one thing about sleep paralysis that scientists really can't seem to explain. And that is why sufferers all over the world often see the same thing. Professor David Hufford has dedicated his life to the study of sleep paralysis, having had experiences with the disorder and became interested in what caused it and how it manifested. Initially, he never told anyone about his experiences, but he moved to Newfoundland and was suddenly struck by how they had a lore that was exactly what he had experienced, but he had never heard of it before. And that suggested that the experiences weren't necessarily cultural. He travelled to over a dozen countries exploring people's experiences with sleep paralysis, and aside from people inexplicably having an experience with an identical entity, there were certain aspects of accounts that didn't make scientific sense. Like many people reported feeling the pressure on their legs and arms as though they were being pinned down. Some people reported feeling as though their head was physically being pushed into the pillow. Which doesn't line up with the scientific markers of sleep paralysis. Professor Imant Brausch is an expert in the study of consciousness. And he's posited that it is possible that sleep paralysis induces a meditative state that allows for our brains to perceive things that it wouldn't ordinarily perceive. Whatever you think about sleep paralysis, one thing is for sure. The hag, or the dasso, is real. Because people believe in her. And as these stories show, whatever her origin, she has real-life consequences. And for some people, like the Hmong people, the belief was so strong that it eventually killed them. Oh my word. I thankfully haven't had any major episodes of sleep paralysis. I've had one episode where I just couldn't move, but it wasn't scary because I just told myself what it was and just gone with it. But I couldn't imagine waking up and seeing something crawling towards you and no, even if your brain, even if you could prove 100% your brain fabricated it, it's still terrifying, isn't it? Still terrifying because at the time, I don't know if you know, because I've never had sleep paralysis either. Do you know at the time? that you're in the process of sleep paralysis like are you telling yourself are you saying okay come on you've got to wake up I, I remember having a conversation with 
Tim, our friend Tim, who did a Patreon episode with us, and he had an episode of sleep paralysis, and he was telling me about it, and he said it was just horrific, like just a really horrific experience. And he knew it was sleep paralysis afterwards. He wasn't like, whoa, there was, you know, this giant spider in my room that's really scary. He was like, oh, I had sleep paralysis. Like that's, I must be really stressed. So I think... Like whatever your experience with it, it, like whether you think it's supernatural, whether whether you know it's scientific, whatever, it's still terrifying. Mm. And there, I watched two documentaries on YouTube, which the links are in the description. And I've also, I think they're scheduled to be posted on the Facebook group. Sleep paralysis genuinely ruins people's lives. Like there, there are people who suffer really badly with it, mm. who have sleep paralysis, you know, sometimes every night or a couple of times a week. And they're genuinely afraid to go to sleep even though they know it's sleep paralysis. Yeah. So, it, you know, whatever your thoughts about it, it has very definite real world consequences. If we take it on a purely scientific basis and say it's all sleep paralysis, anything that disrupts with your sleep in that way is going to be detrimental to your health overall anyway, regardless, yeah. like you said. But also, isn't it fascinating that all of all of our brains generate the same person or a different, a slightly different form of the same thing? That's the bit about it that really freaks me out. Which makes me think that it's obviously science is wrong in this case. <laughs> and um, the dark side was real. I do think it's scientific, but I think it's something that we haven't quite figured out yet. So most of the professors who are interviewed in these documentaries, their conversation is around we're unlocking something in sleep paralysis that we don't really understand and that you can't underestimate the power of the human psyche because it was you know the, the 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 Hmong people dying I think overall I think in all in California 117 men died and all in the same way yeah that's that's baffling as well isn't it yeah and they were you know when they were started doing autopsies and, and trying to figure out what was happening there were no underlying health conditions because you would say they obviously had a heart condition that was undetected it actually wasn't that at all but this Dr. Sally Alder became really interested in this case and she she was thinking oh there must be some some underlying health condition we haven't figured out yet but actually she believed it that they scared themselves to death and that is like how can your brain do that that's incredible yeah it's probably more like i think there's probably more instances of people being scared to death than we realize potentially because it's recorded as other things on autopsies and is that the right word autopsies yeah. death report mortem pathology report but autopsies yeah post-mortem yeah that's what i was thinking of um but I, I i just think that actually they're wrong they're looking in the wrong place here they need to look into the spiritual world and wonder what this what we're doing to conjure this evil woman <laughs> into existence this is obviously very real because there's a wide range of evidence and i know you're laughing at me but i'm not laughing i'm being deadly serious oh are you i thought yeah. you were making a joke no so uh, would it really freak you out to tell you that there are an alarming number of people who claim to have sex with their sleep paralysis demon <laughs> yeah, that and i mean laugh. consensual sex like because there were a, a huge number of like cases where people claim to have been sexually assaulted by their sleep paralysis demon i didn't go into them because yeah. i mean some of them were horrific mm. there's a whole community of people on the island of pemba which is on the east coast of africa who every so often the the whole community suffers these horrific attacks from something they call a pokobawa which is essentially sleep paralysis demon and they they go into really graphic detail about sexual assaults that they've experienced and interestingly these attacks will come and go but they always coincide or they seem to always coincide with political elections mm. 
which there's some people that claim then that it's being weaponized. So people know, like politicians know that there is a fear of this Pokobawa if they conjure up a a big drama about it and then seem to save the day, actually get some votes and, you know, all that kind of thing. So they can be weaponized. But lots of people claiming to have consensual sex with their sleep paralysis demons. <laughs> and I'm not one for kink shaming. No, if that's what you're into. I know Zach Bagan, it's his life mission. Um, but I just, it's a very odd thing. I don't know if that would be my reaction. There's a great clip from uh, First Dates Ireland. Yeah. Where if if you get the chance, look it up. I think it's like First Dates Ireland... I think look up like man has sex with ghosts or something and this guy is on first dates the TV show on a date with this girl and they're talking about they're both really interested in the paranormal and they're having a conversation about it and then on the first date he just outs with I lost my virginity to uh, to the to that ghost yeah and the girl is like oh and you can kind of see her going wow this is not what I expected him to say well she's trying desperately not to make him feel like a knob and I, I was watching it going Oh no, that's not that's not a first date converse. That's not a first date conversation. That's an after you're married conversation. Mm. <laughs> I just, I don't. It's hard for me to understand because I don't like my. I think my instant reaction in all of those would be utter fear. Like I'd be scared of whatever was going on. I don't think arousal would be on my mind at that point. What if your sleep? What if you, you know, you have your sleep paralysis demon. She rocks up. She's an older woman, kind of limmy. And then you kind of go, oh, I never knew this is what I was into. I don't think that's what I'm into. Oh, well, maybe, I mean, maybe it is. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> it's not. I, yeah, I, I, I find it. In, I find that whole thing, that sort of incubus succubus thing kind of very strange anyway. Because I guess if they, like, I believe ghosts exist. So I guess that you can have sex with a ghost if you want. <laughs> Well, if if both parties are consenting, then you do you, you know, that's fine. And Wouldn't be my of, cup of tea, but that's fine. There's lots of biological questions I have, which I'm not going to talk about. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I, I guess it can happen. But it's just it's like my like, I think arousal or sexual attraction would be so down low down the list mm. of emotions that I'd be feeling if I was in any kind of situation that was paranormal. Yeah. Oh, you'd never know until you're there though babe you know you don't know mm. yeah <laughs> you might just find out that it's just your thing <laughs> <laughs> i really don't think it is because i'm absolutely terrified of anything like that mm. i just I, everybody seeing this same woman is very intriguing to me not the same woman but like a woman i did wonder when i was doing this research and there is like there's so much scholarly research on sleep paralysis, like reams and reams of it from countries all over the world. There's like a whole there's like a Japanese um, version and they call it metal bound. I can't remember what the word is, but it's it's sleep paralysis and, and they have the same type of woman. And there's a lot of theories around um, that sleep paralysis old hag woman actually being um, the inspiration behind things like the girl in the ring, the girl in the grudge, mm. that long black hair, really quite pale scary the way she moves that kind of thing um and i don't know whether it's like our ancestors went through phases of being absolutely petrified of witches for example i mean the word hag comes from the word witch um 
so whether or not it's some sort of like disposition in our brains that that is the scary thing that we think of is witchcraft and mm. witches and these women who lived on the edges of society. Oh, mine's going to be very different then, isn't it? Mine's going to be like a doll crawling up my bed. Well, that's the thing. I mean, why if if sleep paralysis is individual to an individual person, why, why is everybody not seeing things that they're that they're really frightened of? I think if you're a scientist and you're listening to this and you want a bit of research, I think it'd be very interesting to just sort of talk to like a field of people and without giving them any sort of context just ask them to describe a scary ghost and see how many of them describe an old woman yeah because maybe it's just a case of that is the most common sort of idea of like you said it's the most common idea of a scary thing but part of me just thinks that we're just barking up the wrong tree and it actually exists do we fear old like age? Man. Is that something? like? Because the other thing that people talk about when they have sleep paralysis is these shadow figures that are that don't have any discernible quality, which is very different to a woman who you can see who's wrinkly, who's pale, yeah. who has long hair. Who gets naked. Who sometimes gets naked and, you know, one thing might lead to another. It just reminded me of The, sh- uh, the Shining. Oh yes, in the shower. <laughs> I forgot about I, that bit in The Shining. Really took me by surprise. I have to say, <laughs> also in The Visit as well, yeah. where mm. the woman, the old, the lady who has dementia is naked a lot. So it really has bled. Like something about mm. naked old women has bled into our like cultural vernacular. I don't really know why. It's a patriarchal society, isn't it? A patriarchal. Patriarchal. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a real thing. I think it's a real thing, and I never want to meet her. Ever. I can tell you that all the people who listen to this show who have suffered from sleep paralysis, which there will be quite a number of them, are going, please no, Dan. Please don't say it's a real thing. Please don't. Don't say that. But Hatman's real. True, and he's also a sleep paralysis person, mm. isn't he? <sighs> so what I would like is I would like these sleep paralysis demons to, like Hatman, I want him to rock up in a nice sombrero someday, you know? Change the hats around. How do you know it's not a sombrero? Well, because people always describe it as being like a trilby or a cowboy hat. I want like, I want something colourful, like this shadow figure with just a gorgeous, sparkly bowler hat. Yeah. You or know? the shell suit goes at last. Uh, well, maybe, and, and a shell suit. Or you could have the hag rock up in a shell suit. Remember those juicy couture, velour, neon tracksuits that were very big in the early 2000s? Pair them, you know? Might change the whole public view a the thing bit. is though if she does rock up in that I'm still going to be absolutely terrified and it's not going to be the thing I'm thinking about <laughs> I regularly though watch horror films and stuff and I'm like oh look at her outfit that is a good jacket <laughs> so maybe they, they just wouldn't have the desired effect on me they'd be like whoa I'm trying to be threatening <laughs> this isn't helping do you want to have sex <laughs> <laughs> So you think it's paranormal? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's scientific, but I think it's like, I think there's so much more to it than just, it, it is, I think there's more to like our human psyche than we know. I feel like we're at a place where science can explain a lot of things. And for those things that science can't explain, we have to put it down to ghosts. <laughs> there is no other way. It's either science, and if science doesn't understand it yet, it's definitely ghosts. Until science can understand it. So if you enjoyed this week's episode, you can find everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. 
you can send your own spooky story to real life ghost stories podcast at gmail.com you can find us on patreon at patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories where for five dollars a month or two dollars a month you can get access to heaps of extra content and on that note we shall see you next week bye